See, our God is able when we trust and put our lives in his hands. It's not risky to put your life in his hands today. What's risky is to hold on to your life. That's risky. That's going to cost you dearly. What will a profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What will it profit you today if you gain everything? If you own the world, if you are on top of the world, what will it gain you today if at the end of your life you have everything in this life, but the problem is you miss Jesus in this life and now you're entering into the next life eternally, eternally, apart from him forever? What will it profit you then? What's the bank account and the retirement fund and the luxury car and the big house and the gated community and the sailboat and the condo on the beach? What is all that going to do for you when you're in eternity apart from Jesus? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. God, help me to decrease while you increase. And we pray this in the mighty, in the matchless name of King Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Philemon. We are continuing our study in the book of Philemon. Looking at verses 12 through 14 today, Philemon, verses 12 through 14. And, and as you're turning there, I want to set this up with the context of our verses from our previous time together. And you remember in that time that we looked at verses 8 through 11. And it was powerful text because you got to remember that Paul was reminding Philemon, saying, look, uh, oh, by the way, uh, I could have commanded you to do this, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say that it's fitting and most purposeful, yet for love's sake, don't miss that, to appeal to you. He could have implored him, could have strong-armed, could have tightened the screws, so to speak. And yet Paul, through the Holy Spirit's wisdom and discernment and leading, says, no, I don't want to go that route. But rather, for love's sake, he appealed. Remember, Paul was talking about he's this Paul the aged, and yes, uh, perhaps in the age of 60 or so was the age demographic when he wrote that, but also I believe that he was aged because of the toll of ministry, all that he'd been through, and yet he still fought the good fight. He kept the faith. He ran the race well. And then in that last section of the text from our last time together, he really began to dive deep and sharpen the pencil as he used the play on words. When he used Onesimus' name, meaning useful, profitable, he said, look, who was once unprofitable to you, but now, but now, because of the gospel, because of the power of the cross and the empty tomb, because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, Onesimus is profitable to you. The irony, if you remember, was both Philemon and Onesimus were converted to Christ under Paul's ministry. What a wild irony that is, how God works, how God connects the dots, 
in your life and my life for divine appointments, sovereign appointments, he will connect the dots. And isn't it ironic that both Philemon and Onesimus were both converted to Christ under Paul's ministry? And so as we begin today, we're looking again at our sermon series entitled, The Pursuit of Interceding for Others. Very intentionally, The Pursuit of Interceding for Others. Now today's message is simply entitled, Self-Denial Modeled. Self-Denial Modeled. When you think of self-denial, what comes to your mind? You probably think of someone who focuses on themselves. No, you don't. You don't think about someone who's selfish and narcissistic. Doesn't make any sense. You think of someone who's humble, someone who's coachable, someone who is teachable, someone who is selfless, someone who puts others first, someone who pushes others to the front of the line. That's what we think of when we think of selflessness being modeled or self-denial being modeled. And so here today, Paul is going to launch from, springboard from this launching pad of appealing in the previous verses. And now he makes this life-giving statement in verse 12 of Philemon. He says this, I am sending him back. Who's him? Well, it's Onesimus. Remember, Paul and Onesimus are in Rome. And then Paul says this at the end of verse 12. He says, you therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Life-giving would be an understatement for this text here, this one verse. Paul says, I'm sending him back that you would receive. See, when something or someone is sent, they are then received on the other end. And Paul is saying, look, I want to send him. Literally, it's one Greek word here. Don't miss this. And it gives the meaning of someone sending to a higher court or to refer a case to. Now, don't miss this meaning. When you understand the context of what is going on here, you're going to see very clearly why Paul used that word. He's just not sending him back for vacation. He's not just sending him back to go, hey, uh, he's bored here. You know, we've played a lot of uh, different video games. We tweeted. We Instagrammed a bunch together. I played a little golf. And hey, we've kind of run out of options here on this uh, vacation in Rome. Uh, let me send him back to you so uh, you can entertain him for a while. That's not what happened here. Paul is saying, look, I am sending him back. I am referring him to you as though to a higher court. And you got to remember, there's a reason for this. You got to understand what's going on because this is risky. Paul is appealing to Philemon to render a verdict that is through the lens now of his Christian walk. See, when we become in Christ, that new creation, the old has passed away, all things have become new, we have to remember what happens in our lives. And so as Paul is appealing to Philemon to render a verdict in the case, quote-unquote, of Onesimus, again, he's saying to do this through the lens of Philemon's Christian walk. Don't do this through the lens of bitterness or revenge, or this is what that person did to me. Do it through the lens of the cross. Look through the lens of forgiveness as how God looks through the lens of forgiveness for you and me. And the lens that God looks through is the lens of the royal righteous blood of Jesus. 
When God looks at me and God looks at you, here's what happens. He looks at the blood of Christ, and even though I have sinned, even though I am wicked, even though I am depraved in my human flesh, in spite of all of that, I've been covered by that royal righteous blood of Jesus. God looks through the blood of Christ, and when he sees me, when he sees you who truly knows Christ, here's what he sees. He sees a redeemed person who's been bought by the most precious blood that's ever been shed, and that was the blood on Calvary by his only begotten son. And here's what he does. He now sees me. He now sees you as though we've never sinned. Our sin that was once scarlet has now been washed white as snow. But think about this. There's a lot of risk involved in this whole scenario. I don't know if you know this, but an escaped slave could literally be branded. They would brand them with a hot iron. They'd be marked forever as this escaped slave, this escaped servant. And even worse, the escaped servant could be put to death. So Onesimus' fate rested totally with Philemon. Remember what Paul was asking of Philemon. You've got to remember this. Onesimus has run away. He was Philemon's servant. He most likely has stolen. If you look at verse 18, we can deduct that. And now Paul is appealing to Philemon to take Onesimus back, not just receiving him, not just rendering a verdict, not judge guilty or not guilty, No, he's asking him, very appealing with love, remember, doing this with appealing of love, with kindness, with grace, with mercy. You pause there for a moment and you go, huh? You go, what? Has Paul lost his mind? But it gets worse. By law, Paul must send the fugitive Onesimus back to Philemon. And Onesimus could be killed upon his return because he went AWOL. See, Paul is saying, I'm sending him, render a verdict. Oh, by the way, Philemon, do it through the lens of Scripture. Do it through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb. Do it through the lens of what Christ Philemon did for you. And then he says, I'm sending him. You therefore, Philemon, receive him. Receive to take in with that kindness, that grace, that mercy, the open arms. The one that just says, hey, I'm here. I don't care what you've done. Man, I receive you with gladness, with joy. And then Paul adds this one phrase. He says, that is my own heart. What is Paul meaning by that? That is my own heart. Well, here's what he's meaning. He's referring to Onesimus as his own heart. you got to remember that when Paul had those converted under his ministry, for those that were men, he would often refer to as a son. Not a physical son, but a spiritual son. See, there's something that happens when a believer leads another person to faith in Christ. Their hearts get knit together. Their hearts are now tethered together in oneness, in that koinonia, in that fellowship, now in the body of Christ through the kingdom of God. 
And Paul is saying, look, I want you, as I send him, I want you to render the verdict through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb, and through the lens of what God did for you, Philemon. Oh, by the way, receive him not begrudgingly. Receive him not with clenched fists. Receive him not with folded arms. Receive him not with droopy shoulders. Receive him not for I'm not getting my way and I'm going to stop my feet, have a brazen forehead and stiff necked. No, he says, receive him with open arms, with gladness, with kindness, with joy, with mercy. And that's why key number one is so important. Key number one. If I am going to intercede for others. Write this down. Key number one. And that's why key number one is so important. Write this down. Key number one. If I am to intercede for others, I must embrace that this may seem risky to the flesh. But I must trust God with the consequences of my obedience to him. Let me say that again. Make sure this sinks in deeply. Because perhaps you're here today and this is your mail that we're reading. Perhaps this is you. That you need to intercede. That you need to receive someone who's done something harmful to you. Something harmful to someone that you love. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, is saying, I want you to receive them with gladness, with joy. Key number one, if I am to intercede for others, if this is what you're willing to do today, I must embrace that this may seem risky to the flesh. Matter of fact, it probably will be. But I must trust God, this is the key, with the consequences of my obedience to him. See, consequences of obedience to God always exist. There are always consequences. When we obey God, there is always a risk to the flesh. There can be good consequences, and there can be negative ones to the flesh. But obedience to God always brings, always brings, always brings positive consequences through His lens, through how God looks at you. It may not seem so in the flesh, but obedience to God is what he desires of you and me as the Christ follower. Think about these thoughts as I wrote these down in meditation and preparation for this message. I said this, when we are taken advantage of, we often become bitter and do not want to forgive nor welcome back someone who has hurt us. But we have to remember that bitterness harms most the person who is bitter. No matter how hurt we may be, when we choose to be bitter, we have just unwittingly checked ourselves into a self-imposed prison. As one person said years ago, they said bitterness is like you drinking the poison while you're waiting for the other person to die. That's how delusional sin is. We think that if we're bitter, that we're somehow going to get back at the other person. We think if we're bitter that we're going to hold the other person hostage. We think if we hang on to unforgiveness that somehow we have the upper hand. And yet the reality is this, the bitterness and the unforgiveness harms most the person who is actually being bitter. We have now checked ourselves into the bitterness prison. The bitterness self-imposed shackles. Who today wants to be self-imposed in a prison? 
Of course we don't. And yet we do this. We do this because we're looking through a fleshly lens, not through the lens of forgiveness and redemption and atonement that God looks through to us as he looks at us. We look through the fleshly lens. Think about the prodigal son. Write this down in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 20 through 24. Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. Incredible, incredible illustration of this concept, of this key number one. Incredible. Here's what's said. And he arose and he came to his father. This is the one, the son who rebelled. The son who said, hey, dad, I hope you're dead. Give me my inheritance. He said, give me, give me, give me. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about me being self-focused. Me centered, me saturated. That's what he was saying in essence. But when he was still a great way off, don't miss that. His father saw him and had compassion. Do you see this? He's getting ready to receive him. And he ran and fell on his son's neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Boy, he is now humble and repentant, isn't he? Again, he went from give me, give me, give me. And now he's saying, oh, wait a minute, dad. I'm not even worthy. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. The father didn't say go down to goodwill. The father didn't say, go down in your closet there in the basement and just find something you haven't worn for six years. He said, oh, wait a minute, time out. Go break out the best robe. He says, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Oh, he is showing that the son has royalty. He's showing that the son has value and worth. He's putting a ring on him. He's putting sandals on his feet. And then he says in verse 23, the dad says, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Are you tracking with me, church family today? Here's this son who's rebelling. He says, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. Even what's not mine, give me more. Just give me whatever. I want it. I want it. I want it. The dad allows this to go on. He still loves the son and he's waiting on the porch. He's in his Cracker Barrel rocker and he's sitting there on the porch and he's waiting for the sun. And from a far off distance, he sees the sun and he sees him. And here comes the sun in humility and repentance after squandering all he had after living in the pig pen. Here comes the son who humbled himself. He lowered himself. And the dad says, wait a minute, I'm on my Cracker Barrel rocker. I could sit here. I could sit here all afternoon and wait till he gets to me. No, that's not how we're going to do this. I see my son and I see him from a distance. I'm getting out of the Cracker Barrel rocker and I'm running to my son. That's what love does for you and me today. That the father sees us in our condition and he says, wait a minute. I'm not going to sit back and be asleep at the wheel. No, I'm going after my son. And the dad runs to the son. He runs to him and he falls on him and he kisses him. And then he turns around and says, wait a minute, time out. We got a party. We got a celebration here. Wait a minute. Go get the best for him. Get him the best robe. 
Go ahead and find him a ring. Put it on his hand. Show that he is royalty. He's an heir to the throne. Not because of what he's done, but now because he's repentant and is being redeemed. Oh, do this right now. Put some sandals on his feet. Don't go get the poorest meat. Don't go get a skinny calf. Go get a really fat one. Go break it out of the freezer right now. Get the best one you got. Oh, we're having a celebration. We're having a party. My son, oh, my son who was dead is now alive. He was once lost, but now he is found. See, that's the power of the cross in the empty tomb. Nothing can accomplish that other than the cross in the empty tomb. Think about this, church family. Very important point that goes along with the prodigal illustration. Because if we're really going to intercede for others, it's going to seem risky to the flesh. But we must trust God with those consequences. When God says go, we go. When he says stay, we stay. We obey God. And think about the impact. Don't miss this. Think about the impact that will happen, that will. When others see Philemon... Welcome Onesimus home. Think about this. Think about all the people that are watching. Think about Philemon's family, and they know what's going on here. They know that Onesimus went AWOL. They know that he's stolen, verse 18. And when they see self-denial modeled, when they see it in action, when they see it in action, oh, it's one thing to hear about it. Boy, it brings a whole new element of power when we see it in action. We can read about it. We can hear it. But when we watch it in action happen, when we watch someone in action, in the flesh, forgive someone, it is so powerful. It is so moving. It is so stirring. I think about the police officer in Dallas, who took the life of that family member. And I'll never forget, for as long as I live, that testimony of that brother on the stand, that brother who, his brother, is now deceased because of the action of the officer. And you can see the sorrow in his eyes and the pain in his eyes. And yet as he looks at the judge, he says, wait a minute, I want to make sure everyone knows here that I forgive this person. I forgive this police officer. And not only that, judge, can I actually get up and give this officer a hug? Are you serious? How does that happen? How does someone take the life of your relative and then you are able to not just forgive them in word, but in action with the entire world watching. You say, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to welcome them and receive them. I forgive you. Oh, by the way, can I hug you? And we've all seen the clips and the emotion and the tears and the sobs you can hear in the courtroom of the power of forgiveness, of the testimony from those in the courtroom and those in the judicial system who witness this, that they've never seen anything like this happen. See, this is the gospel on display. 
This is the power of the cross. This is what a watching world is waiting, waiting for the church to model. Because if the church doesn't model it, who will? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Think about the impact that's going to happen, that will happen, when Philemon welcomes Onesimus back with open arms. Arms wide open. Think about it. The people that will witness that in his family and in his house church will never be the same again. How about you? Who is God asking you to intercede for today? Who is God right now by the power of the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to model self-denial? Who? And are you willing? Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Paul goes on, Whom wish to keep with me, referring to Onesimus, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Think about that. Whom wish to keep with me, verse 13, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. This is so personal. Paul is getting very transparent here. He wished to keep. He wished to hold back. He wished to keep firm possession of. He wanted Onesimus to stay with him. There's now this bond of affection not a possession of that he controls him, but to keep in his presence. See, there's something about having a brother with you in the battle, amen? Having a sister with another sister in the battle. Matter of fact, in the scripture, we know this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one. And a threefold strand cannot be easily broken. There's something powerful about not being isolated. There's something moving about not being isolated. There's something mission critical about not being isolated. If you're isolated in the Christian walk, at some point you're going to fall. At some point I'm going to fall. And Paul says, I, I'm in prison here. I'm in my chains. I wish to keep Onesimus. To minister to me. It's literally the form of the word deacon. To serve, to wait on, to take care of. Minister how? In my chains. In my band or in my bonds. He is in chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But again, we have to understand this. That even though Paul is a prisoner in Rome, he's actually not a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, the word of God is not chained. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of my God will stand forever. And that's why he did say for the gospel, the good news. See, at first glance, this is really a good thing, right? 
Paul is seeking to keep Onesimus. That's a good thing. In order that Onesimus might minister to Paul. Not a bad thing. But is it a God thing is the question. See, Paul faced a dilemma. See, at first glance, this seems like a really good thing. Paul's saying, hey, I want you, Onesimus, to stay with me, minister to me, serve me, help me in this gospel mission of gospeling Rome. Which, by the way, the gospel is simply the name of Jesus. He is the good news. There's no other news that is good other than Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. And Onesimus is with Paul, and Paul longs to have that. At first blush, this seems good. But Paul has the wisdom from the Holy Spirit. He says, look, I wish to keep him. I would love to have him here. But I'm facing a dilemma. And we face a dilemma as well. Because we can be operating in good things, but the reality, we have to get out of the good things and move into God things. You here today may be walking in good things, and that's a good thing. But my question to me and my question to you is, are you walking in good things or are you walking in God things? See, that's why key number two is so important. Key number two, write it down. If I am to intercede for others, I must be willing to let them go. Wow. Key number two. If I am to intercede for others, I must be willing to let them go. Remember, Paul's desire is to keep Onesimus with him. However, God's purpose must always, always, always trump personal preference. Always. Always have that. Write that down in your notes, matter of fact. God's purpose over personal preference. That is always the mantra for the true believer in Christ. I want God's purpose over my personal preference. Hey, I want this. I want that. Does God want you to do that? Does God want you to have that? Does God want you to think that? Does God want you to move there? Does God want you to buy this? Does God want you to attend this? Does God want you to watch this over and over? Does God want you to listen to this? Keep asking whatever questions you're asking all throughout the day. Does God desire this in my life? Is it just me talking? Is this the enemy of self tricking myself? Seek God, seek his word, seek godly counsel, mind the scriptures, pray fervently. And as you seek God, watch him work in your life and he will show you. He will show you what the good things are but he will also show you what the God things are. And therefore walk in obedience in the God things. See, Paul again is interceding for Onesimus to Philemon, and Onesimus had this dramatic conversion. Praise God. And because of that, Paul is willing to let him go. See, we can't always control our circumstances. You guys know this. I know this. But we can and we must always control our response. We can't always control our circumstances. But we can and we must always, always control our response. Question for you and me today. Is my life, is your life, branded and seared with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Real simple question, not a trick question. Ask yourself that today. Is your life, as I'm asking myself right now, is your life, is my life, is your life 
branded and seared with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22. Think about 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Think about this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Write it down in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Powerful, powerful text. Paul is showing very clearly that his life in Christ, although it brought contentment and peace and joy, cost him dearly in the flesh. Matter of fact, there was even moments of discouragement and despair. You say, well, how do you know? Well, look at the scripture here with me right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. This is Paul writing. And he says this, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now, don't miss this. That we were burdened beyond measure. Very powerful imagery there. Above strength. So that we don't miss this. So that we despaired even our life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. Man, this is a bleak, dire, straight situation Paul was painting. That we should not, however, trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivered us, past tense, from a great death and does, present tense, deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us, future tense. Oh, are you settling just a day for good things? Or are you pursuing with passion, with intimacy, with fervor and vigor, the God things that He has in your life? Oh, I pray today as we feast on the Word, as we wash ourselves in the Word, Though we changed into the image of Christ. Look at verse 14. Paul goes on and says this in Philemon verse 14. He says, but without your consent, very interesting. I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Paul is so inspired and moved and is walking with and by the Holy Spirit in this verse. So beautifully. But without your consent, what does that mean? It means of the mind concerning what ought to be done, the approval. So he's saying this in essence, but without your approval, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed, that your excellent, distinguished, upright good deed would be not by compulsion, not pressured, not strong-armed, not forced, not out of duty, not out of, hey, i got to do this. But no, again, he's saying, look, I want you to do this out of love. See, Paul has already modeled this on the front end in verses preceding. He said, look, I'm an apostle, and I could make you do this, but i rather appeal to you to show you the life that I'm living that I'm denying self, that I'm a soldier of the cross of Jesus Christ, that my life is no longer my own, that I, Paul, have been radically redeemed by the cross and the empty tomb. Oh, by the way, Philemon, as my son in the faith, I need you, I desire for you to do just the same. But I don't want to force you. I don't want to make you. I want you to do it out of love, out of kindness as you receive him with joy and contentment and peace and longing for the lost son, the lost brother to come home. 
And he says that right there in the verse. When he says, but voluntary, willingly, of your own personal will, motivated by love. Don't miss that. See, all that we do has to be motivated by love. We got to stand fast. We got to be strong. We got to do everything we do with love is what the word tells us. Think about this. Have you ever pushed for something? Have you ever pushed for something? Husband, wife, child. Well, you pushed. You persuaded. And I really want this. I really want to go here. I really want to do this. And you pushed and you pushed and you pushed and you pushed and you pushed. And the other person relented. They gave in. And yet you were still disappointed. Kind of weird, isn't it? Well, you begged and you beseeched. And you pushed, and you begged, and you beseeched, and you pushed some more, and they gave in. They gave you what you wanted. And yet after you got what you wanted, you felt disappointed. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. It's interesting to note that when we beg and beg and beg and twist arms and force out of sense of duty... We're disappointed because we know ultimately and inherently that the person is doing what they're doing now for all the wrong reasons. We want people to do what they do for Christ out of love, out of joy. Oh, I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to use my gifts for God's glory. I can't wait to use my financial resources for God's glory. I can't wait to use my life as a living sacrifice for God's glory, holy and acceptable unto him. That is so joyful and so refreshing for a pastor to hear. Now, this is a very important concept to embrace. We have to remember that the name Philemon actually means one who is kind, one who is affectionate. So Paul is appealing to the one who is affectionate and kind to receive the one who is useful but became useless, who then became useful. Is this not amazing how God works and connects the dots? So, so critical. Because Paul is seeking. He's seeking, he's seeking, he's seeking for Philemon to be compassionate, to be affectionate, to live up to his name towards Onesimus. Because Onesimus is now living up to his name. Think about that. Paul is imploring gently and lovingly for Philemon to live up to his name, to be loving, to be affectionate. Because he's asking him to live up to his name towards the one Onesimus who is now living up to his name, who is useful and who is now profitable. Because he's now in Christ. But Paul also knows this can't be forced. See, that's why key number three in your notes, I want you to write this down, key number three. Key number three. If I am to intercede for others, I must seek not, not, not to manipulate. Let me say that again. This is a toughie. Key number three. If I am to intercede for others, I must seek not to manipulate. This is a challenge to the flesh if every one of us, myself included, are truly honest today. 
We come into this life depraved and wicked, and we look through the fleshly lens, we grapple, we battle, and we want us, us, me, 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 and more me. And it's so easy in every decision to have me involved. It's so easy in your decision-making to have you involved. And yet at the heart of manipulation, understand this, is that selfishness. And at the heart of the gospel is selflessness. Think about this. At the heart of manipulation is selfishness. At the heart of the gospel is selflessness. See, because of the sin nature and the sin that so easily lies at hand for me and for you, and we know this, we got this, we must daily examine, I must daily examine my motives. You must daily examine your motives through the lens of Scripture, the benchmark of truth. If I'm examining my motives based on my heart or my feelings, here's the deal. My heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? And my feelings will betray me. So what does this do? This gives me a false sense of me walking in truth and goodness and godliness. But if I look at what I'm doing in my motives in my daily life as I examine those against the benchmark of the truth, God's holy word, I see clearly, literally, it shows me clearly. As I look in that mirror of scripture, it shows me I can't deny it. I may try to deny it, but I can't truthfully refute it. It's what it is. When my motives are impure and selfish, when I look through scripture, it reveals where my heart and my mind really are. And see, that's why when the gospel is real in our lives, there should be a joyful giving away of the self-life. If you're here today and you're like, I'm a true believer in Jesus Christ and I know him and yet you are living for self, you don't want to give away self, it's all about you and what you want to do, I would truly go back and check your salvation. Because the word shows us there is fruit of the spirit. Again, Galatians 5. And if you are walking, if I'm walking habitually, perpetually in selfishness, we need to go check who really saved us. See, oftentimes God gives us a problem that we can't solve on our own. Have you thought about that one? I mean, Why? Why does God give us problems and trials in our lives? Why? Well, there's many answers to that. But I believe one to be so true, and that is simply this, so that we will depend on Him and no longer ourselves. Paul said that there in 2 Corinthians, we just read it 8 through 10, that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but in the one who raises the dead. See, our God is able when we trust Him and put our lives in His hands. It's not risky to put your life in his hands today. What's risky is to hold on to your life. That's risky. That's going to cost you dearly. What will a profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What will it profit you today if you gain everything? If you own the world, if you are on top of the world, 
What will it gain you today if at the end of your life you have everything in this life, but the problem is you miss Jesus in this life and now you're entering into the next life eternally, eternally, apart from him forever? What will it profit you then? What's the bank account and the retirement fund and the luxury car and the big house and the gated community and the sailboat and the condo on the beach? What is all that going to do for you when you're in eternity apart from Jesus? See, there's a direct correlation, church, between denying self and having joy and contentment. There's no way to get around this. No way. It's impossible. He who denies himself will actually gain this life. You live by dying. You win by losing. That's how this works. And there's a direct correlation between denying self and having the joy and the contentment and peace that we also desperately crave. We are on this journey, whether we want to admit it or not, for joy, contentment, and peace. And we're searching, and we're buying this, and moving here, and doing this, and getting married to this person. And we're searching, we're searching for something to dull the pain and fill the void. And there's only one thing. His name is Jesus Christ. And when he comes into your life and takes over your life, your life is no longer your own. You want to die empty of self is now your main goal. And that's where the true joy, contentment, and peace is found in this life, is giving your life away. All for the praise of God's glory. See, it's all about renouncing our rights. That's what self-denial is all about. It's all about renouncing. We renounce it. Because there is this constant tension as we seek to be willing servants of Jesus. And then we grapple in the culture We grapple in this world that inundates us with this concept that life is all about us. Then we turn on the television, the internet, social media, newspaper, everywhere you go, it's all about you. Advertising is all geared towards what you need, what you're missing in life, what's going to make your life better. There's this grapple, there's this strain that we're all in. That's why we must be intentional, we must be urgent must be desperate, we must be broken. All for the praise of God's glory, not our own. Think about 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is our time and our talent and our treasure. Verse 7, and Paul says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. There it is again. For God loves a cheerful giver. Remember, Paul is saying, look, Philemon, I'm going to send Onesimus back to you. I wanted to keep him, but I really need to send him back. And you need to receive him. As I'm sending him, you have to render this verdict based on the lens of the cross. I know he's harmed you. I know he's done wrong against you. But I want you, Philemon, to look at what God did for you through Jesus Christ. And I want you to enact that same loving judgment on Onesimus. Because his life is different. He's been changed. He's no longer a servant that went AWOL and ran away. He's now a servant of the true King Jesus Christ. I want you to receive him with joy, not out of necessity. Not begrudgingly, not all good grief. Paul is making me do this. Fine, come on in, Onesimus. 
Fine, I'm glad to have you here. Fine, I'm so glad you repented. Fine, I can't believe it, but I'm glad that God has finally saved you. Fine, I am so, so excited. I'm so, so joyful. I am so glad that the scales have been removed from your heart and your mind and your soul. I'm glad for you. That's not what he wants from Philemon. He wants Philemon to be in his cracker barrel rocker, sitting on his porch. And when Onesimus makes the long journey from Rome, oh, I can see Paul now just picturing Philemon in that cracker barrel rocker on his front porch. And he sees, he sees Onesimus. He sees him. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I think I see my boy. I see my son in the faith. Here he comes. Oh, I know he stole from me. I know he did my family wrong. But I know this, the power of the cross and the empty tomb and the grace of God is greater and deeper than our greatest sin. Oh, wait a minute. Break out the best for this brother. Put a ring on his hand. Put a robe on his back. Not from goodwill. Give him the best robe. Oh, bring out the sandals. Go kill the fatted calf. My brother, my son in the faith was once lost, but now he's found. He was dead, and now he is alive. I can just see Paul thinking with a big smile and praying that that would happen as he sends Onesimus back. So for the takeaway question today, when others think of me, when others think of you, do they see a person who denies self? Not a person who talks about it. Not a person who preaches it. Not a person who is just all talk and no game and no show. No, do they see a person in me? Do they see a person in you that truly lives a life of self-denial model? Do they see that? If they don't, does that bother you? Does that bother you? It's okay to be bothered. I actually think it's a good thing when I'm bothered by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? When He is speaking to my heart and I'm hearing Him and I may not like it and my toes may be stepped on toes that I didn't even realize I had. But that's a good thing. No, actually, that's a God thing. And we want to get out of the good things and get into the God things. Amen? So if that's you today, if you truthfully are like, you know what, I'm asking myself the question. When others think of me, do they see a person who denies self? And perhaps maybe the answer is no. Well, here is your action step. Ask God right now. Not after lunch, not after the ball game. It won't happen. Ask God right now to reveal to me, to reveal to you, the areas in my life, in your life, where we, where I am inwardly focused. Ask Him. I know it's a risky question, but what's more risky is not living for Him. What's risky is not obeying Him. What's risky is not surrendering to Him. That's risky. Then confess right now. Then repent right now. 
from those areas. I love the acronym ACTS for praying, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I like that. But I think we're missing one letter. It should be A-C-R-T-S. A-C-R-T-S. Adoration, confession, repentance, thanksgiving, and supplication. You say, what's the big deal about repentance? Well, here's the big deal. I can confess right now where my struggle is. I can confess it. I can say, God, I am inwardly focused in X area of my life. I can confess that. But if I do nothing about it, if there's no desire to change, all I've done is give lip service to God and really insulted God and insulted those around me and insulted myself. I can confess all day long. But if I don't change, if I don't repent, if I don't about face, I'm going in the wrong direction towards self. And now what happens? I need to turn around, do an about face, no longer walk towards self, but walk towards King Jesus. If I just confess and don't repent, my life has not changed. See, I believe one of the reasons... See, I believe one of the greatest reasons that our culture has slid into the cesspool that we're in, this sewer, this pit of quicksand that we are in in our culture today, is because God is often just regulated to just another item that we try to squeeze into our busy schedules. I hear God, wait a second, let me get up my day planner. Hang on one second, God. Hang on one second. Uh, let, let me get to that page. Hang on a second. Boy, wow. Woo, this month is filling up. Oh, boy, my Sundays are filling up. Let me look here. Wow, God. Oh, good grief. Yeah, let's see here. Boy, we've got ball practice and cheerleading. And yeah, I've got a reunion with the family. And pray for me for that one, God. I'm really going to need some help on that one. I, You know, God, I'm, I'm going to try to... Let me look over here for the next month. Let me just kind of flip over. You know, I think I might be able, oh, there we go. You know what? I might be able to fit you in on that Sunday morning for, for an hour or so if the preacher doesn't go too long. I might be able to do it. Let me check. Let me get back to you. But God, thanks so much for saving me. Thanks so much for redeeming me. Thanks so much for giving your only begotten son and executing him and butchering him on the cruel Roman cross. Oh, thanks so much. Man, you're really a good friend. Yeah, that's not how this works. We are truly either for him or if we're not truly for God, the reality today is that we are truly against him. How about you? How about you? Is God just another item on your busy schedule that you're trying to check off and squeeze into the busy schedule? See, God doesn't want to just be an item to be fit into your busy schedule. God wants to take over your schedule. God wants to become your schedule. He wants to now say, look, your mission in life is no longer live for yourself, but to deny yourself. And because you're going to live in a new mission with a new lens of denying self all the day long, God's saying, here, I'm going to take over your schedule. I'm now the one who's going to fill in your day planner for you.
But boy, those are fighting words of the flesh in our culture today, isn't it? Because we like Jesus just as long as he doesn't interfere with our lives. So in this time of reflection, as we pause, just ask God, what does he want from you? What is it? Ask him right now and then just give it to him. Because you have to understand this deep truth, dear one. When we follow what our flesh desires, we always, always, always miss what God desires. What does he want from you today? Are you willing to model self-denial? Are you willing to be that one that stands in the gap and intercedes for someone else now? To forgive them? To on their behalf model the forgiveness of Christ and love and redemption? I pray that would be each one of us today. I pray that would be each one of us right now. Oh, Father, we come before you today. God, our hearts are humbled. Our hearts sing for joy. Our hearts are captivated by your love and your redemption and your forgiveness. And that royal righteous blood of your only begotten Son that you willingly gave that we might be set free from the enemy of self. Oh God, I pray, would you speak powerfully right now in this time of meditation as we reflect on the message. God, have your way with us. Whatever you want us to do right now, this is your time. Oh God, to you be the praise. Oh God, to you be the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.